Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in the mailbag, we'll be answering some questions in response to the Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler discussion. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's dive into it. We have a bunch of news to get to because uh, we've had the uh, you know that spoiler discussion yesterday. So uh, something that hit was we learned a bit more about this Warner Brothers streaming service. Chris, what do we know? Uh, it is now called HBO Max. That's the official name. Uh, it's going to have obviously the the HBO content. It's going to have. Th- does it have a bigger screen? I don't know about that. Um, uh, You know, it's going to have HBO content. It's going to have Cinemax content. It's going to have pretty much everything having to do with Warner Brothers. It's also going to be the official streaming home of Friends, which I know will upset lots of people who watch it repeatedly on uh, Netflix. So instead of watching it on Netflix, you're going to have to watch it on HBO Max now. Sorry, everyone. What what are they going to have? I mean, okay, so they have all the HBO con- or they have all the Warner Brothers content over the air. Like, w- w- what does that include other than like Friends? A lot of the the CW DC shows will be on there, like Batwoman, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I guess, which is owned by them, is going to be on there too. Um, there's also films from New Line Cinema, uh, stuff from DC Entertainment, uh, on and on. There's also New Line rich- Cinema, that's a lot of horror for you. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be subscribing, but yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's also going to be original stuff, that, like that that Dune show, which is going to be tying into the big Dune movie that's being made. So there's going to be a lot of stuff on here. Whether or not people actually want to watch it is another story. What other original content? Because, you know, there was that Gremlins oh. animated prequel series we talked about the dune show is there anything else like exciting in terms of original content no <laughs> there's a list you can read it on slash on com but none of this other than the the dune show really appeals to me honestly and right now we don't know a price point for this i don't believe so no not yet 
Okay, so firstly, I, I want to ask you, what do you think of the name HBO Max? Because HBO, I always kind of separate. I know it's owned by Warner, but like I always kept it separate. It's kind of like to me like a more adult brand, even though I know they do some kids programming during the day. Like, does this fit like all of Warner Media? Uh, I don't think so. It, it just makes it sound literally just like another HBO streaming service, which, I mean, I guess it kind of is, but it, it's kind of weird to me that they kept the HBO name. Jacob, what, what do you think about it? Are, are you going to subscribe to this? Oh, as someone who subscribes to HBO Now already, if they if Warner can put together a package deal or a fair price that says, hey, replace HBO Now or upgrade for a few bucks more for a lot more content, I, I think I'm already in. It is a question if they want me to pay another 15 bucks a month or just roll it together in a way that is satisfying. And while the HBO Max name is weird, I do think trying to introduce a brand new name in the age where we already have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and all their names would be a mistake. So even though it could sound like you know just an expansion on the existing HBO streaming services, at least HBO is a service people already regularly use. So it could be something that people are more willing to pay up for than if it was like just called warney or something you know i don't know <laughs> but wh- why not take advantage of the warner brothers brand name that's been around for what over 100 years or something <laughs> like, people would roll their eyes at that though i mean i think people would say like oh i've seen the warner Brothers logo before movies on netflix why should i pay for this whereas people already are accustomed to paying for hbo to stream it so i think it's just a matter of trying to get in on an already established streaming brand as opposed to building from the ground up because I know we get nostalgic and excited when we see the Warner Bros. Uh, crest, Peter, but I don't think regular people do. Yeah, I, I think you're sadly right. And I, I'm just kind of disappointed by all these streaming company names, like the pluses and maxes. It all sounds like, you know, I made the joke about the larger screen, but like it really sounds like, you know, ver- like name versions of like smartphones. It doesn't sound like something I want, like a channel or a streaming service I want to subscribe to. Not that I'm not going to, because I'm obviously going to, because I, you know, do this for a living. I have to subscribe to all the channels. So, well, uh, is it is it too late for us to announce uh, slash film Max Plus, the new video website that we are <laughs> going to be streaming in 2027? Jacob, you you have spoiled this. Uh, I cannot edit this out of the podcast, uh, <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, it's going to have to. I, I guess people are going to have to speculate on that. So, uh, okay, let's let's move from from HBO to Amazon. Uh, they're doing that new Lord of the Rings series, and apparently, alongside that, they're going to be developing an MMO video game. Uh, yeah, this came from The Verge today. Uh, Amazon's teaming up with uh, Liu in the game studio uh, Athlon to make a Lord of the Rings MMO, or a massively multiplayer online game. If that sounds familiar, it's because uh, World of Warcraft made this really famous in the early 2000s, even though it's not the first MMO. And the basic gist is you go online, you build a character, and you go adventuring in a giant world full of quests, and you do it with friends online, you build teams, you kill monsters, you level up, you collect items. It's all very addictive, and when done well, it's all very fun. Interestingly, there already exists uh, Lord of the Rings Online. It's been around for <laughs> more than a decade. But uh, interest in MMOs has waned uh, in the past you know, 10 years or so. World of Warcraft is still popular, but the days of these massive fantasy MMOs like reigning and being king are they're, they're, they're a thing of the past. They're, they're now a niche kind of game instead of a all-domineering force. So it's really odd for Amazon, who has very little experience to be making a Lord of the Rings game, let alone an MMO. 
especially one they claim is not related to the series, although both the game and the upcoming TV show are both prequels. So the question is, which one is set at which period in Middle-earth history? Since we know the uh, show is set during the Second Age, which is a couple thousand years before the original trilogy. So my big question is, why would Amazon invest all this money in a Lord of the Rings video game unless they want to tie it into the $1 billion TV show they've already lined up? Peter, am I missing something here? I think that sounds about right. Like, I'm guessing when they acquired the rights to the, for this Lord of the Rings TV series, it also included the rights to make some kind of online game. Because I, I'm guessing there's probably some wording. I, I could be completely wrong here, but I'm, I'm just speculating that there's some wording that they're getting the rights to any kind of uh, Lord of the Rings content that is streaming, you know, online engagement. Like, there's something like that. And because they have that they're gonna obviously try to make some money because they they spent how much on the lord of the rings license it was a lot of money uh, right yeah it was a lot of money. i know the number being tossed around in terms of buying the rights and developing the show and getting production much together was was a billion dollars so they've already invested that many figures into this so why not toss in a couple hundred million dollars more at that point i just don't know how you're going to compete with people like blizzard and companies that have, you know are doing this for you know decades it just like seems nuts to me and i i don't I, I know there's big lord of the rings fans but i feel like there's no way they're going to be able to outdo those companies in, in the yeah space. i mean people love lord of the rings but there, and there's been a lot of lord of the rings video games but i just feel like unless you're unless you're world of warcraft you know mmos aren't on fire right now they're, they're not the game of choice it feels like a really weird investment to make at this point in video game history yeah okay uh let's move on to look who's talking they're rebooting this for some reason uh I think it's probably the all these talking dog movies. Chris, what is going on here? Uh, <laughs> so Sony Pictures is rebooting uh, Look Who's Talking, which is, of course, the 80s film where Bruce Willis's voice comes out of a baby. Uh, and they made three of these movies. There's Look Who's Talking 2, which had Roseanne as the voice of and that, the that, sister. That's T-O-O? Yes, because, you know, it's cute that way. And then there's Look Who's Talking Now, which uh, had talking dogs. And none of these movies are very good. Uh, I don't think anyone wants a reboot of any of this. But it's going to happen anyway, because of course it is. Why would Hollywood ever do anything original or clever or exciting ever again when they could just reboot Look Who's Talking? Okay. On that note, uh, I saw The Lion King last night. Uh, a bad transition or maybe it's an aw- awesome transition no it's an app transition yeah, app it's transition. perfect uh no uh, it, we we published ben published an early buzz article rounding out all the reactions from social media i will tell you what i thought of it i i think it's a breathtaking visual cinematic achievement uh i can't believe this is a cg animated movie uh timon and pumbaa i think steal the show i it's it's a good Disney remake, but is it really necessary? Probably not, but I think families are going to love it. I I will say, you know, I go to a bunch of these, like, world premieres and stuff, and uh, it, the audience is usually pumped and people are clapping and whatever. But this seemed to be more than usual. It seemed like the audience was more into it than normal. Uh, I think it's going to play big, really, with families. Uh, I thought it was fine. Like, I, I, I think the animated version is better although i think this is uh it's very interesting because it's it's weird because they're 
you know, these talking animals, but they're not uh, cartoon design. You know, it's not um, they don't have the exaggerated features and exaggerated animation of the, the original Lion King. So it it feels something about it feels off. Uh, but artistically, I think it's probably the best version of this that could be possibly made. Um, ben also saw this last night. He said, quote, better than I thought it would be. I still really miss the exaggerated emotions of the characters from the original, but you get occasional flashes of this, and the vocal performances are largely good enough to make up for the rest. Um, and uh, he also says to Moan and Pumba, uh, steal the show. Uh Jermaine Lucier, who used to write for the site, uh, tweeted, the, the Lion King is a wonderful adaptation of an iconic classic. It has a few small changes which enhance what was already great, and everything else is right on point. The CG can be slightly distracting at times, but the emotion quickly covers up for it. Loved it. So it, it seems like it, you can read all the reactions here. It seems like most people uh, liked or loved this, this new movie. I think it's going to do really well um again is it necessary probably not but uh it's i don't know like jacob am i wrong like 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 what what could be like i i am saying that this is the best possible version of you know a quote-unquote realistic if not live action remake of this property but like I guess it loses some of that charm of that 2D animation. But at the same time, I've talked to many, like, young people these days, uh, you know, family relatives and stuff like that. They do not like watching 2D animated stuff, which is sad. So maybe this will get them to get excited about Lion King and go back to that animated classic? I hope so. I mean, that's a similar thing with uh, my nieces and nephews. Um, my, my mom uh, watches them every day um, while their parents are at work and talk about how she'll bring on Netflix and they won't even for a moment pay attention to older Disney movies, but you put on Coco or Cars 3 and they're immediately drawn to it. So I, I think we're reaching the time when traditional animation becomes niche and it becomes something that aficionados and adults can enjoy. And it makes me very sad. It makes me tremendously powerfully sad. Yeah. What what's that? I was I was talking to some critics at the after party of this premiere, and we were talking about how Disney's kind of running out of properties to adapt into live action movies, and not running out, but running out of like the older ones. And I was like, we were speculating, like you know, eventually they're going to have to get to like Moana and Frozen, but they probably have to wait a few years for that. So then we were like, will they actually? adapt the princess and the frog like an animated movie that i guess was not considered a hit so much so that they abandoned hand-drawn animation do you think that will ever happen uh, uh not until they adapt home on the range first peter and get some cgi octogenarian cows in realistic live action cg I, I don't think we need that oh i do i i want what i want to see peter is Disney live action machine the crash and burn just like traditional Disney live action did in the early 2000s they need their their uh, brother bear live action bomb. They need their home on the range live action bomb. Disney live action needs to be humbled. Damn it! They need that to happen to them so they can turn around and fix the bad ones. Well, well I mean, well, Lion King sounds good, but like we don't need another Beauty and the Beast. You don't need that to happen again. It can't happen to us. Wait, but wasn't Dumbo that that live action bomb? 
Uh, it was it was a disappointment. What we need is a home on the range level disaster, a movie that literally no one on earth cares about. Whereas people seem to have nice words for Dumbo here and there. We need it. We need a crash and burn, Peter. It needs mm-hmm. to happen. Okay, let's move on to Spider Man Far From Home. Uh, we learned yesterday that if this movie does not make a billion dollars, Sony will break free of the Marvel Studios deal. Jacob, what do we know? Yeah, this is a very uh, interesting story. It comes from Richard Rushfield in The Ankler, the uh, Hollywood newsletter. And Rushfield's reporting is sometimes cloaked in mystery uh, and gossip because he, you know, it's a combination of him being a tease and a combination of him protecting his sources. But what he did report uh, is, I'm going to quote him, the original Sony Marvel Spidey deal to co-produce these movies stipulated that if this Spidey cleared a billion, Marvel would get to oversee a third. If it hadn't, full control would have reverted back to Sony. And now, if you may remember, the basic details, it's very complex, I can't wait for the book about this deal to be written, is that Sony still owns Spider-Man. They still distribute these movies. They still make the bulk of the money from them. Uh, Marvel is just a creative partner. They oversee, like, you know, storytelling choices and getting the movies made on a creative level, whereas Sony is still footing most of the bill and still reaping most of the rewards. And the deal is that Spider-Man can exist in the MCU and they can benefit from that. You know, everybody wins. Uh, but apparently there was this footnote in there that if the Marvel Studios, you know, steered Spider-Man movies weren't doing well and weren't making a billion dollars like traditional Marvel Studios movies do, Sony could snatch it back, which is a scary prospect considering, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man and other uh, decisions being made uh, for the Spider-Man franchise prior to Marvel uh, uh, entering this partnership. Pr- prior? Right now, you're, you're saying prior? <laughs> Look at Venom. You know, you're, you're completely right. Uh, Venom is a nightmare. Um, with all due respect to the hardworking people who made Venom, that movie is a studio note writ large, and it does not work at all, at least for me. I know it has its fans. But, uh, Peter... I think it works I, for I, all the wrong reasons, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Far From Home is going to clear a billion. At this point, it's made like $700 million in a little over a week. It's going to be fine. Uh, we're going to get a third Spider-Man movie for sure at this point with, with Marvel overlooking it, unless something goes, unless something goes disastrously, horribly wrong. But, Peter, what do you think of this deal in place? What do you think about – do you think Sony is salivating and waiting for this deal to run out at this point so they can take Tom Holland's universe and run with it? Or do you think maybe we see Sony and Marvel like sign a new document, keep on working together and keep benefiting both parties? What happens here? I don't know. It's interesting because Tom Holland has a contract for, what, like six movies? And I guess a third Spider-Man film would be the end of that deal, not that he wouldn't resign for more. Um this is interesting because we everybody's been wondering, are they going to make a third Spider-Man movie? And I, I think even Kevin Feige was asked about it. He was like, you know, that's not a done deal yet or something like that. And now we know why. If this is true, that they had hit a, a billion dollars for that to happen. Um, I mean, it seems like we'll, we'll be getting that in two years. So maybe we'll hear about – maybe by the time of next week. Wait, can, can this movie hit a billion dollars by next week? By the end of next it- week? It's entirely possible. I mean, it, uh, I think that, it, especially with international numbers and as more markets open up, it's going to get very close to a billion by next week. Yeah, um, so, I, I, I'd say that much. So maybe at Marvel Studios presentation at Comic-Con, we could have Feige uh, announcing the date for the third Spider-Man movie, uh, you know, coming two years, assuming that, you know, it keeps the same schedule. But uh, I don't know. You're asking after the three they've always like i think even when they were promoting homecoming they were talking about it as a trilogy of films and um so i don't know i'm really curious i'm really curious does uh 
does Disney own the live action rights to Miles Morales? And could they introduce Miles Morales in this third film and them go their separate ways in some way? I don't know. Um, It'll be interesting to see, but I think to talk any further about this, we need to go into spoilers. So if you have not seen Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, you can tune out now. We're going to do one more news story, and then we're going to do some questions from the mailbag. Uh, But yeah, tune out now. Here we go. Um, Okay, so I I guess the question is, where does the Spider-Man story go next? Um, Chris, what does Kevin Feige say about this? Uh, well, you know, Spider-Man, uh, far from home, it ends with Spider-Man's identity being revealed to the whole world because, uh, Mysterio is a jerk and that he does, <laughs> he, he basically gives away Peter Parker's true identity. And, uh, on, on one level, that's sort of very similar to the ending of the first Iron Man where, uh, Tony Stark tells the whole world that he's Iron Man and doesn't have to worry about secret identities anymore. So Kevin Feige said, uh, quote, now people know Peter's identity. People now think he's a villain. Mysterio plays one last trick on him and succeeds. So that means everything's different. Where it goes, we'll see. But it's exciting that it once again sets us up for a Peter Parker story that has never been done before on film. So um, even though I would argue that uh, Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi film, people sort of learn Peter Parker Spider-Man in that train scene where his mask comes off. But I guess no one knows who Peter Parker is technically. Yeah. But, they so, didn't know, you know who that boy was. Right. But they knew he was just a kid because that's that whole scene where he's like, he's just a kid. Anyway, um, so that's going to be, I guess, the focus of the third film. For one thing, Peter Parker has to clear his name because Mysterio... Uh, framed him and for another thing everyone will now know peter parker is spider-man the weird thing is when they were promoting homecoming i think the uh, john watts the director was talking about how they were setting up this trilogy of films to be almost like uh, the harry potter films where each year was going to take place in a year of, of high school and i feel like they can't go back to high school after this right jacob that's what I've been wondering about because uh, famously uh, in the Civil War comic arc, not the movie version, Peter Parker does unmask, who uh, is part of um, Tony Stark's plan to, you know, make superheroes all government regulated. And at first it goes fine because he's under the protection of Tony Stark and he, can, he moves Aunt May into um, protective, you know, housing where people can't get to her. And there's, there's a whole stretch of time where Spider-Man was essentially, you know, uh, financed by Tony Stark and financed and protected by the powers that be. But in that comic book arc, he ends up switching sides and loses all that. And there's a big couple of years where Spider-Man, his identity is known, his family's in danger. He's always in danger. He's on the run. And it's a whole thing. I'm, I'm not as familiar with it as and with other Spider-Man arcs, but it, it does exist. Uh, it exists to the point where in probably the most infamous moment in Spider-Man comic book history, uh, Spider-Man makes a literal deal with the devil that resets comic book canon so that so that uh, everybody forgets who Spider-Man is. Wow. It's a very famously hated storyline. That sounds to, almost as bad as the Cone saga. Yeah, it, it's rough. And to Marvel's credit, they used this reboot to get Spider-Man back on track. And some really amazing Spider-Man stories came out after this. Uh, and they were, Because they were, they were able to sort of reset his relationships and retell them in ways that were actually really satisfying. But the whole Duel of the Devil thing remains this black smear. And the fact that Marvel Comics, which has a universe of possibilities, found themselves so back to a corner story-wise that they had to literally bring in Satan to fix the unmasking of Spider-Man 
makes me really wonder what the plan is here. Yeah, I'm curious too, especially him saying that it's a story that has never been done before in film. But I mean, that could mean anything. Like he could be just talking in broad terms. But like, who do you think could be the villain for this this third film? Uh, John Watts, the director, uh, recently did an interview where he said his uh, villain of choice would be Craven the Hunter, who is a, a big game hunter who uh, is obsessed with hunting down and killing Spider-Man is like his ultimate trophy. And I think it actually would make a really interesting choice if Peter Parker is known, he's known as a villain, then a guy who's literally out to hunt down, you know, the biggest prey and sees a massive target everybody hates would make a whole lot of sense for the villain, especially uh, a guy who knows who Peter is and will stop at nothing to literally kill him for sport. I know a lot of people love that Craven's Last Hunt arc of the comics. I've never read it, but it's uh, one of the most popular Spider-Man arcs, right? Yeah, it's, I can't remember the year. I believe it was in the 80s. Was Craven was uh, terminally ill and determined at all costs to kill Spider-Man no matter what. So it became like a all-out brawl with Craven pulling out every last trick in his book to wear Spider-Man down and take him uh, out. Uh, a lot of that arc relies on you know, the history of Craven and Spider-Man and him having been a villain since the 60s. But I do think that if they cast the right actor and establish, hey, this guy's an old, weary, you know, supervillain looking for one last big score, one last big job, one last big grab at glory, it could be a really cool way to have Spider-Man go up against, you know, somebody who's the exact opposite, somebody who is, you know, old at the end of his life, you know, trying to take down this youngster. Yeah, and that, that arc was published in 1987. And uh, I think at least the way I read it, Craven ends up killing Spider-Man, so it's kind of almost like like the Superman doomsday kind of thing, but it turned out that he was just uh, like tranquilized for a couple days or something. Hey, Peter, comic books, right? How is that going to translate to the big screen, though, Jacob? Uh, not at all. They will take those loose skeleton bones and build new flesh entirely over it. Okay, let's answer some questions in the mailbag. We got a bunch of letters from our Spider-Man Far From Home discussion. John O. from New Jersey, which he says is home of the Six Flags Great Adventure, one of the most underrated theme parks in America. I have not been. Uh, Jacob or Chris, have you either been to Six Flags Great Adventure? That's your neck of the woods, Chris. No, I, I no, <laughs> I have not. Okay, well, if I'm ever there, I'll have to check it out. Uh, he says, does anyone else have a problem with watching euphoria right after seeing spider-man far from home i love mj's character just as much as peter does and don't want to ruin it i've only seen an episode and a half euphoria my wife is getting really into it uh but i think that it just proves that zendaya has uh quite the range i'm enjoying the whiplash of her uh doing a really hardcore upsetting HBO show while being effortlessly charming on the big screen. So it, uh, it just makes me appreciate her more as a performer. I, that doesn't ruin it for me at all, although it is tough to watch. Okay, let's move on to our next letter from Paul Jolly from Melbourne, Australia. It writes in, uh, he enjoyed the spoiler discussion of Far From Home. I couldn't help noting that when you were guessing potential names for the next Spider-Man movie... Surely homespun should be a good uh, should be too good to miss. Uh, Jacob, you weren't on for that. I was wondering, do you have any suggestions for for name titles for Spider Man Three? I think I said uh, Spider Man uh, Home No More. I think was my, my my guess, 
It has to have home in the title, right? Yeah, I was thinking Spider-Man Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Uh, Spider-Man must defend uh, his, his, his apartment from the Sinister Six by laying out a bunch of traps. Uh, what do we think of Homespun? Is that like that feels like not? I don't know. Is Homespun a more international word? I feel like I don't use the word Homespun. I mean, I, I think it's it's an old-fashioned word for yeah. sure. Uh, I, I, my whole thing with the home, Homespun is that it is has home in it and it has spun like a web, so it's, it's, it, it works on double level. So I'm not yeah, sure how to title it that, but I I do appreciate uh, Paul's pun here. Yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, Brian from Austin. Writes in that I feel like Peter Parker's arc tracks pretty well throughout the films, uh, and he's in response to me saying that I think Peter Parker's arc has been kind of wishy-washy throughout these the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he argues that teenagers certainly are impulsive and may not know what they want in the future, but Peter is more of a victim of the other people influencing him than anything else. The fact that he is compelled to help people, even when it means getting in over his head. So in Civil War, he says he wants to protect the neighborhood. Tony asks him to step up, and he does. Homecoming, Peter has had, had a taste of being an Avenger and thinks that's what he wants, and then realizes he's not ready and has other priorities. Infinity War has no choice but to join the fight because the threat is so large. His mentor and city are being attacked, and far from home... Still wants to be the neighborhood Spider-Man, tries to leave it behind on his, uh, for his vacation, but has to step it up when Fury recruits him for and, and Tony gives him Edith. Uh, do, do you what do you you weren't around for this whole discussion? I think you had to leave the podcast, Jacob. What do you think of Peter's arc throughout the MCU thus far? Uh, I don't quite agree with you to the extent that you fell out, Peter. I'm a little bit more positive on it. I do think it falls victim to being split across uh, several movies in different corners of a franchise. I mean, each movie has to be true to a movie that you maybe maybe did not see. Like, if you didn't see Civil War, you're still going to hopefully enjoy Homecoming. If you didn't see Infinity War, hopefully you'll still enjoy Far From Home. So I do think that it's a bit more scattered than it should be. But I do think Tom Holland holds it together and makes it work by playing up the in over his head you know youthfulness of peter parker and, and a guy who is easily influenced and has to learn the hard way so i think that on a writing level i do think it's choppy work uh despite the design of how this franchise has been built uh but i do think that tom holland really makes it work against all odds i mean i agree with that i i think i said on the podcast that it, it reminds me of these like big crossover events in the comics which you know happen out of nowhere and sometimes force these heroes to make choices and their arc change like suddenly and i feel like that's what happened with infinity war and uh endgame but um you know like i, I feel like without that it, it is a little bit better i will say this i was listening to the slash Filmcast review of spider-man far from home and one thing i didn't didn't occur to me because i haven't watched homecoming since it came out is peter's relationship with mj at the beginning of this movie he's like you know, has this plan to tell her how he feels and everything like that. But at the end of Homecoming, he wasn't even, like, smitten with her. Like, it was not even, like, a thing. So it kind of, like, jumps from zero to 80. Do we do we have any problem with that? No. In eight months, how can you not fall in love with Zendaya in eight months? I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John A. writes in, I think you guys are missing the real reason behind the second post credit scene. Uh, this is the one with Nick Fury in space. Uh, he says, I think it's a setup for S.W.O.R.D. 
So uh, that that is an interesting take. Uh, who is Sword, Jacob? Uh, Sword is a, it is the space counterpart to Shield uh, in the comics. Shield is the is you know a group that Nick Fury runs or Maria Hill, depending on which era you're reading. Uh, that is defending the Earth and protecting Earth from other Earth-based threats, whereas Sword, you know, Sword and Shield, uh, uh, exists in space and protects the Earth against cosmic threats. Like, uh, if Doctor Doom's causing trouble in that area, Shield responds. If Galactus is heading toward Earth, Sword responds to give you an idea of the kind of difference in the in their tactics. And so, Sword, you know, literally, uh, I think right now they're orbit Earth in a space station. I think. Got the Marvel actually ran them for a few years recently, so maybe they're working on that. But yeah, it's, it's essentially Cosmic Shield, and if, and if they used Nick Fury to introduce you know characters all over the Marvel universe, maybe we're going to use him and on his newly developed Sword Station with his helpless of scrolls to introduce the Eternals or introduce more cosmic characters and and uh, bring in bigger uh, fish to uh, bring into this pond. I think this is actually a really good observation. I didn't even think about it because I, I was enjoying Nick Fury on vacation too much to see that maybe he actually is developing, you know, thinking bigger now. It, it, the Earth's safe. The Earth has enough heroes. Maybe space needs some more now, too. I think John's onto something here. Although I will say, is it in broad terms, is it smart for us to, uh, you know, create a sword when our shield isn't working well? <laughs> we're talking about the, the, the shield has Spider-Man now. It's totally fine. Okay, uh, our last email comes from James. He writes in, uh, with Spider-Man Far From Home being so intertwined with the MCU, the big question for me is that came to mind was, will Spider-Man Far From Home and Spider-Man Homecoming be on Disney Plus? Theoretically, uh, you could watch all the films from the MCU on the upcoming Marvel Channel portion of the platform, but these two films are dis- distributed by Sony. So I'm, I'm curious what... You guys, like, do you, Chris, do you think the Disney Plus Marvel channel is going to be missing the Spider-Man films? I hadn't even thought of that, but that is a good question. Um, I feel like they are going to be a part of it just because they are part of the MCU. But I really, like, uh, like Jacob said earlier, I'm dying for a book about this entire deal <laughs> because there's so much we don't know about it and what the stipulations are, like. Even that that Richard Rushfield story, you know, he says he got it from a, a good inside source, but we don't really know how accurate that even is. There's a chance there's some sort of discrepancy there too. So I'm I'm really curious. Someday in the future, should we, you know, should the planet survive a, a few more years, uh, learning the the full details of of this deal? I think there's a book to be made about the entire, you know. Mar- rise of marvel as a cinematic force i mean obviously those early years with ike perlmutter like it's just so much fascinating info that has not been reported on and i i know that that book that you've you're quoted on chris what is it the big picture big picture yeah by ben fritz has uh has a a good little backstory on how marvel sort of came to power yeah but it's just a chapter but it's probably the best thing out there that puts that in perspective i i someday i i hope there's a book on that and i hope there's a book on like you know star wars in the disney age i feel like there there could be a insider behind the scenes book a tell-all and all that too uh someone just needs to write this and get access it's easy right Okay, so that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on 
iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. If you have a question, feedback, comments, concerns, uh, we can read it in the mailbag. Send it to peter at slashfilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.